I'm Ron Powell McLean, and this is the Backyard Buddhist Podcast. Well, welcome back. It's been a few weeks since I have recorded. I have been a busy boy, but I will admit that, you know, during this year, this pandemic and the election and all the things that ripen around that, that I definitely had some, some work (laughs) to do. (laughs) I've been working on some different um, meditation programs that are near and dear to my heart and important to me um, in many ways. So I thought I'd, I'd jump on today and, and chat. It's just me. Um, I have guests coming back um, in the future and I'll, you know, have a few that's just you and I just chatting. And I thought that was a, it was a good opportunity today for me to just speak from my heart and tell you a little bit about my journey and why I landed here and how I landed within meditation. So it's mid-December here in Kansas. So I'm in the easternmost part of Kansas, almost the Missouri border, about three miles from the Missouri border, in fact, in the Kansas City metropolitan area. I was born here. My mom is from Kansas City area, and my dad is from Erie, Pennsylvania area. And he was in the Air Force, the U.S. Air Force, and met my mom when he was stationed here in Kansas City. And they married, actually, today, excuse me, yesterday, the 11th, was their 55th anniversary. So... And they're still together and they still like each other, even though they're (laughs) stuck in a a big house (laughs) in the middle of a pandemic. And they are an interesting couple um, filled with all the spectrum of emotions. They're fiery sometimes and they're, very um, opinionated. (laughs) There's a commentary on pretty much any and every one and everything, but they are them. And we all made it out okay. (laughs) I have uh, three siblings. I have an older brother and I have a younger brother and younger sister. I'd say I'm closest with my my sister. We we talk every day and 
just keep in touch. Our, our worlds are intertwined and I like it that way. I've liked her since we were kids, which I can't say, um, consistently, um, <laughs> the relationship I had with my brothers. So not that we were, you know, not that we've ever been enemies, but you know, there's that brother stuff that <laughs> I think every set of brothers or many set of brothers, um, have competitive and, um, fiery and <laughs> whatnot and i'm the gay one so i'm in the middle of the two very straight boys and then there's me who likes to cook and i've been crafting and crocheting since i was a, a little kid and the artistic one which i've always rather enjoyed but it sort of set me a little bit apart from my sports loving brothers. So, so we're all here in this area, not far from each other. And of course, Thanksgiving this year rolled around and I, my husband and I made the decision because he works in a public um, business that we didn't feel comfortable going to my parents. I'm pretty um, away from everyone except for a few medical appointments, my physical therapy, I'm still doing twice a week. So I see my doctor there. and But other than that, there's a lot of social distancing. I even order the groceries to be delivered and spend most of my time in, in our home. So, but we decided because uh, my husband, you know, is in um, contact with a lot of strangers, um, works in a family entertainment facility, that we didn't feel comfortable going. My parents are, you know, getting on in age and have some underlying conditions and we didn't feel safe doing it. My sister and her husband made the same decision uh, my younger brother and his wife and two kids went out to see mom and dad on Thanksgiving and they spent the, spent the day together. And I, uh, my, uh, my older brother joined them as well. But I think we've all decided that there will be no gathering for the, um, for Christmas, which I know is probably really crushing my parents. I, I know that they really, really love having family around and the tradition of Christmas, although <laughs> there's, there's always a lot of, um, I'm going to say this lovingly, my parents are procrastinators. So they love all the Christmas decorations, but they might go up fully the night before <laughs> Christmas when they're also hurriedly trying to dust and clean the house and tuck away any, you know, disorganization and make Christmas cookies and things that they have <laughs> 
put off. So there typically is a lot of uh, uh, anxiety and stress when we arrive. It usually takes my sister and I to sort of calm the waters. Just jumping in with, you know, we always help cook and organize things and get get things ready for everyone's arrival. But my parents really love the gift giving and the decorations and having everyone around, which is great and stressful <laughs> all at the same time. But I know that they are going to be they're I, I think they're they're courageously endeavoring into we're not gonna do it because they know that we're close to a vaccine and that keeping ourselves safe is our best chance of doing this again and being together again in the way that they really like. So I know they are bravely endeavoring into this, this time and we'll do what we can. We've been trying to um, do Zoom calls with them and they've, they had neglected in, um, in their, their um, resistance to change. They uh, resisted to change to an internet that was um, fast enough to actually connect to the internet um, because my dad feared losing his uh, long used email address. So their internet is not strong enough to support um, Zoom calls and things, which I was hoping that we could help them out a bit by, um, you know, having some visual <laughs> visual interaction with them. They did come over um, the weekend after Thanksgiving. My husband sustained a little accident, a little injury on on Thanksgiving day, I got him a, a wood splitter that he could make kindling out of small logs and he managed to get his finger jammed between the wood and the, the thing and he did six stitches and we spent three hours in the, in the emergency room, but he's fine. He's the stitches are out and he's recovering. He's down to a band-aid now. So, but my parents wanted to come over and deliver um, their discovery at the, from the farm center, which was a bag of purchased kindling. So he wouldn't have to use the, the thing, which I loved. And I haven't seen my parents since I want to say May or June, that feels right. Maybe around Father's Day, I think we went out and had a had a bit of a, a cleanup. They have a lot of property and gets overgrown with, um, you know, vegetation and too many sticks in the yards and 
piles that need to be burned and that sort of thing. So we went out and helped uh, with that. Um, so I hadn't seen them face to face in, since June. So it was lovely to to catch up with them face to face. I talked to them a couple times a week, but aside from that, I hadn't seen them. So it was nice to catch up and just sit, sat and just acted like nothing was wrong. <laughs> so it's been a little, little crazy, I think, with with being kind of locked down. Um, I also have not been really um, working this year um, after the injury and all of the surgeries and, and that and pandemic. It's been uh, kind of hard to do anything other than a little bit of, of piecemeal work. Um, so it's it's given me the opportunity to just practice a lot, which, you know, I. I really, I really like, I'm glad for it. I think if this scenario would have happened earlier in my life, it might have driven me over the brink. Um, <laughs> and I say that jokingly, but I truly mean it. I think that what my practice has brought to me is is the ability to find my calm, my clear water within whatever's going on, whatever chaos is going on, that I can find my grounding and reside there. Still, you know, being a part of what's going on, but doing it from a place of peace and understanding and I'm very grateful for that so over the over the past um, month or so being kind of just off from not doing the podcast I got some some great emails and some folks reached out and um, touched me in in a way that was really meaningful and I'm really grateful for. I started this podcast because I felt like there were things that I wanted to and could say. And I always do this with the intention that I'm just sharing me authentically and if it helps one other person then good i lead a meditation or some kind of service every day other than when i was in the in uh, surgery and the, the few days after that and some random days where there were some technical issues um, I've done pretty much a meditation every day since the, the shutdown started. So I try to just authentically be me. I'm practicing anyway. That's kind of my, my rule actually is I'm practicing and everyone else is invited. So 
I just try to be inclusive and know that I'm just coming from my own understanding. But there, there's a few folks that I know, <laughs> that I know and trust, and I ask them to pose a few questions for me um, that I could uh, ask on their behalf <laughs> in the podcast. So I'm gonna. I have them sitting in front of me, and now I'm looking at them, thinking of which which one I want to start and how the heck I'm going to answer. We'll start with this one. This question is what helps you tune in to the present moment? And so my answer to that is everything. Usually the loudest thing, the loudest thing that I would have normally thought to be disruptive and annoying, I turn toward. Rather than running away from, you know, I've, I am a, an outgoing introvert, if that makes sense. I can be outgoing to, to people and especially in, in this arena, if you will, um, when I'm in our spiritual community, I just, my arms are open and my smile is wide. But inside I'm an introvert and I have anxiety and shyness and uh, a lot of things. And I will admit that loud things and bright things have um, disrupted me for most of my life. So, you know, loud music or loud people, and I just want to go hide. I want to go someplace quiet. And what presence has allowed me to explore is that I'm okay. I'm okay right here and now, even if someone else is being loud and disruptive and it seems blaring in my ears or they want to, you know, turn up some music and it's beyond my comfort level that I can find my own and know that all things are impermanent, including the loud sounds and the bright bright lights and whatever is uncomfortable is impermanent. So I try not to let it affect me as much. I do have a little bit of um, agitation when there's more than one source going on at the same time. Like if the TV and there's a YouTube video playing on someone's, um, phone at the same time it <laughs> is kind of like nails on the chalkboard for me so that that's a big challenge um, so whatever is the most 
annoying or loud or prevalent thing. And it could be, it could be happiness or joy in that moment. And I will hone in on that as the presence, the presence of the moment. And I'm always working with my breath. I'm always taking sort of solace in the coming and going of the breath. It's like waves to me. So that's how I'll answer that. That's a great question. Thanks for that. So let's see. Oh, goodness. What holds you back from living at your highest potential? Wow. <laughs> that's a, that is a, that's a tough question. I would say the thing that holds me back from living at my highest potential is conditioned fear. I think that's my most honest answer. Conditioned fear, fear of failing, feel, fear of, for me, not being authentic, fear of not being received with my true intention. Fear, yeah. And sometimes, you know, fear of being unsafe. I think there's a bit of that in my personality, that anxiousness uh, that underlies in my in my conditioned experience, anxiety is a, is a thing that shows up. And sometimes that makes me just feel unsafe. Um, so I lock doors and <laughs> think, um, my husband calls me Captain Safety. So Captain Safety is um, on high alert most of the time. <laughs> So I think the thing that holds me back from living at my highest potential is just conditioned fear. I also think, and I'm going to say this um, honestly, that I try to push that, that past that procrastinator in me that is, and mine's a little bit different than my parents' procrastinator, but or maybe not, maybe I'm just saying it is, but I think my procrastinator is a little bit of perfectionism. And oftentimes now in this state, in this state of my awareness is that I turn toward um, just doing, just get off the get out of the parking spot and drive around. So I, I think I do that more often than not now, which then I'm, I'm typically very proud of whatever I offer from, from that. So, so I think I'm probably living at a high potential um, because I'm trying to stay present in each and every moment as much as possible. 
Oh, oh, this one's this one's deep. Um, this is if this were your last moment on Earth, what would stand out in your mind as most important? Oh. This moment, I, in, in this question, I'm seeing, I'm seeing gratitude and my gratitude is for this understanding, this opportunity that I have been given to explore understanding through this through this practice, through contemplating and understanding what's illusion and what is not. But I've also really, really grown to respect and value interconnectedness. And this interconnectedness even just me talking into a microphone to you and many of yous i don't know <laughs> i don't know what your face looks like but i feel like we're the same we're the same we're all just showing up and wanting and needing the same things so i'm I'm grateful for this interconnectedness. And I try not to talk about numbers on, <laughs> on this podcast because it's not, it's not what um, bases my, my value, but I enjoy seeing the download numbers from across the globe. It just, it makes me feel so happy and warm inside. And I often um, have happy tears when I see countries or even states in the, in the U.S. where I know I don't know anyone personally that we're getting to have a conversation. And I feel as if you the collective you understand me. So I feel a lot of gratitude for that. And that is very important to me. Love and loving compassion and kindness have also, those didn't feel like they were um, part of my life for a long time. And I've really, invited those those experiences in and i'm grateful for that as well so i'm almost a little teary-eyed duck in answering that question oh oh this one's nice i like this this is what kind of gesture have you offered today I, <laughs> I will say that 
several years ago. I want to say five or six years ago. I was really contemplating. It may be longer than that. I don't. I don't always have a great sense of time, which is good. I think. Anyway, I was contemplating the ritual offerings of religion and, you know, specifically our Buddhist path, things like an altar and incense and um, fruit or, you know, whatever's offered to, you know, uh, to the, you know, within practice or within the rituals. And I had, I'd had a number of conversations with, with people here in the Kansas city area who really had an aversion to ritual around Buddhist practice. And they wanted, you know, a very, a clean slate, maybe a, a Buddha statue um, on a pillar or something and a candle and anything more than that was uh, irritating. <laughs> I, could, I can tell you that it was irritating because they would tell me after uh, Sunday services that they were displeased that I had done some kind of offering. And so I, as I do, really wanted to reach in and contemplate what, what is it about ritual? And I've shared several times that I grew up Catholic um, and I, I just loved, I loved watching the priest to offerings and the rituals of of the religion. There's, you know, a slew of reasons why I didn't um, continue on a Catholic past or path, but um, we don't need to get get there today. But I've really enjoyed the ritual part, and I so I wanted to ask myself that: Do I just enjoy it? Is that why? I don't mind doing it, but others find it um, disruptive or um, some discomfort around it because they had bad experiences with organized religion and their. So I was doing a bit of that work and it just came to me the understanding that everything that I do in my practice is an offering to the experience and to the attentive awareness. When I bring things into the light of my attention, it's an offering. And whether it be food, whether it be the thoughts that I'm thinking or the intention of my actions, I endeavor to be as present as possible. So 
for instance, you know, being with my husband or being with my dog or being with friends, I really try to stifle any distraction I may have and really fully be present. So today I would say, you know, just sitting on the couch and reading, drinking my coffee and it's a little chilly. So, you know, I had a, a little throw blanket over my legs and Aurora, my, my little dog, our little dog um, came and curled up. She likes to curl right up next to me. And I covered her up. She likes to be covered up with the, the blankets. And I just sat there and pet her and, stroked her and she craves attention. And I knew that my hand on her meant more to her than anything. So I would say that's the kind of gestures that I have offered today. That's a really great, great question. I, I like, I think I like this. I think I like being <laughs> interviewed by, by um, some of my my friends and colleagues. <sighs> so, you know, I wanted to talk just a little bit about game changers for me. I I know as we move into this next season of the Backyard Buddhist that. I really want to talk to other practitioners and it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to be a, a lifelong practitioner, but, you know, I want to know what was the game changer for you? Where did things change because of your attentive awareness and your, your intention to understand where where did it change so for me i've had several shift moments in you know in my experience you know i'm 52 and a half i'll say years old um, and there have been some significant shifts. I think for me, you know, I recall a specific shift happening around my 30th birthday. I just, there was something sort of in the air. I, I had been depressed and anxious and unsettled and kind of struggling with my direction, where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do, um, balancing my actions versus inactions and um, fumbling through life and getting smacked around pretty, pretty significantly by, you know, by 
the experience. But I remember having this, this real wake up moment. I had a, a boyfriend, Ray, who we now refer to as X-Ray. <laughs> Get it? He bought me for Christmas one year. And I, I'm going to admit that I was pissed <laughs> that my Christmas present was this book. And it was The Nature of Personal Reality by Jane Roberts. And if you've read this book before, it's, you know, she also wrote um, Seth Speaks. And she is channeling this unborn entity of, of consciousness that speaks through her. And I got this book and I thought, what the actual hell did I just get? I got a damn book for something woo-woo that I'm not going to like. And I graciously accepted it and graciously um, put it between a couple bookends on my dresser in my bedroom where it sat for months and months and months and maybe a year or more or more. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I think I'd run out of things to read. Strangely enough, I think it was about the same time I bought my first Buddhist book. Hmm. Interesting. Um, but I picked this book up and began to read it. And aside from the, the premise of this person um, channeling an unborn entity, um, that basically had all the answers to the meaning of life and doing these interviews and they were uh, written down and transcribed into this book that there was a, an actual shift. And I have read this book now. I just actually started reading it again the other day. It's probably my sixth or seventh time reading it and it's so very interesting to me the more I've had awakening and understanding occur that when I go back and read it again I see so many other <laughs> so many other things and understand oh this is this seems right this feels right so that was a game changer moment for me where I started to understand a bigger connection and I didn't feel so isolated. I think that's the most important thing that started to shift me there was the, that overwhelming fear of being isolated that I had prior to this. 
So that's a real shift moment for me. Of course, there was, you know, the, you know, the more obvious shift moment. Well, two obvious shift moments for me is one when I first was introduced to meditation, even though it was not called meditation. A doctor was referring to it as, as uh, self-hypnosis, but literally he recorded the session on a cassette tape for me. So it was really a guided meditation that I listened to. It wasn't, it wasn't a self, uh, self-driven <laughs> until um, the tape wore out. And I was forced to kind of do it on my own. And then I started exploring other ways. So that's a real shift moment in exploring the difference to me between pain and suffering. And I started to be able to pull those two things apart. So that's a real shift moment. And then I would say the most obvious shift moment was um, being introduced to Lama Surya Das and the Dzogchen teachings and the the cast of characters that you know uh, entered my life at that point and since that point who are so very very important um, that are my Dharma brothers and sisters and Dharma mother and I guess you could call Surya my Dharma father too. Um, yeah, that these are all real shift moments for me and game changers. But I also think that the more I sit each day, every day, that I always have that amazed feeling of awe and wonder when I slip into that state of understanding, that interconnectedness where I feel like I see it all. I see the whole terrain, the pain, the suffering, the happiness, the joy, everything laid out. And I can see that stepping out of my relative self and incorporating that ultimate consciousness shifts me and changes the game for me every day. So what are your game changers? What have really changed your perspective to allow you to find that place of okayness. Remember on this path, we're not trying to change suffering and struggle into joy and happiness. Those are two ends of the, the experience. In the middle, the middle path, what Buddha has taught us, the middle way, is that perpetual okayness, 
that we can see even when we're uncomfortable, we're okay. And as long as I have my breath, I'm okay. As long as I have my connection to consciousness, that I'm okay. It's okay. So where do you find your okayness? Or have you found your okayness? Or are you struggling? Are you feeling like you're isolated, alone? I've been there. I've been there, my friends. And it's an illusion. I'll tell you that that's an illusion. And that's a state of mind that is not healthy and scary and feels sad. So how do you find it? Where can you look? I say that that exploration is insight. What holds you back from living your highest potential? Ask yourself, what's holding you back from feeling that okayness in each moment rather than the swing of good and bad, joy and struggle? If this were your last moment on earth, what would stand out in your mind as most important? What helps you tune into the present moment? And what kind of gesture have you offered today? My friends, I'm so glad to be back with you. It felt good to take some time off and do some practice, some work. And I look forward to exploring some more with you. This is the 31st podcast in this series. So I'm super glad that I'm here with you and you're here with me. I love emails, so don't, don't be shy. I would love to hear your story. And if you're interested, you think you might want to be a, a guest, we can talk about your game changers. We don't have to be graduates, just students, just endeavoring, endeavoring along the path. Remember, you must be present to win. So stay present, stay diligent, and look for that okayness. And I'll see you next time. Bye now.